0: Well, welcome to another episode of Break Away from the Rat Race, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Paul Winterroad. Paul is both an expert debt provider and an active multifamily practitioner with real-world experience investing in multi-assets, both as a general, uh, general or limited partner. Uh, because of his experience on the investment side of the business, he has some deep insight and empathy for his clients that and needs as he helps them navigate through the financing process. So Paul has successfully sourced financing across the country for market rate, affordable apartment buildings, student housing, and senior housing projects. So Paul, welcome to the show. Eric, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. That was a little bit of a mouthful, a t- tongue twister there. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the gist of it is that you have you invest in real estate, and um, so you know what, as real estate investor, what we're looking for, what kind of financing we're looking for in order to make these deals work. So, tell tell us more about kind of like what you do and why you you got started in in that business
1: yeah no uh happy to happy to do it. I'm very much a real estate guy. in fact, the funny side story i I it's important to have liquidity right and and uh savings accounts and those sorts of things are going up but uh I hired a investment advisor for some equity investing to have some <laughs> liquid positions and he actually fired me as a client this morning. oh really Wow. I'd, I'd had some complaints as far as you know benchmarks. What is what was doing? What was going on? And he was like, oh, "Maybe this isn't for you." So, uh, uh, real estate is where I, I live most of the time. So, uh, anyway, uh, to get back to the to the question, so I I got into business uh, about eight years ago. So I'm kind of middle of my life career, I'm 45 years old and didn't have a whole lot of direction uh, career-wise, always had an interest in real estate and dabbled in some flips and spec homes and that sort of thing, but mostly in the residential space and more, you could call it more of a hobby or an interest than a real business at that point, but had a, uh, a really fortunate moment where the... The, the employer I was working for decided to close down the division I was a part of. And so I did some soul searching and really got in tune with, with what I wanted to do with my career. And um, I'd always been intrigued with, with apartments. And I thought, wow, that'd just be great if if I owned apartment buildings. Those guys or gals, whoever owns them, they they have it made. That seems like a pretty good gig. So um uh, did a lot of networking and was able to, to start a, a position as a, as a mortgage broker.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's where, where I started cutting my teeth, really in the back of my mind thinking, okay, how can I get more involved in investing in apartments? And if I can understand the finance side, I can certainly figure out what a good deal is and and, mm-hmm. and do that. So as uh, just being completely immersed in the space in the industry, things moved quicker than, than I anticipated. Uh, as far as getting involved in ownership of apartments and uh through that network partnered with an individual and and we we bought uh, three apartments. I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah, so they were smaller multi uh family projects, seven thirteen and a and a 20 unit heavy value add and that's that's how it all got started mm-hmm. And that was on the general partner side we we raised equity so we had limited limited partners and uh, the market and this was around 2017 2018 when um we got into those deals and uh, had had real successful exits and um got involved in a couple other other multifamily projects as a as a general partner and decided through that process Uh, because being the general partner being in charge of everything is is very much a job you are running a business (laughs) and especially if you've got multiple properties and so when I started I was like who I I would never want to be a limited partner and now I'm almost exclusively a limited partner I've shifted to that uh, mindset just because i I really like the the mortgage business that I, that I'm a part of, and it it helps me um, meet great people and meet sponsors and get access to, to opportunities I may not have have otherwise, and and it also keeps me sharp on on what to look for. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as of today, I'm I'm very much the the day job is in the is a mortgage broker, yeah. and and uh, I've got. Uh, a nice portfolio of of uh, investments as as a limited partner in in multifamily mm-hmm. assets across the country.
0: So tell me about your uh, your first deal on on uh, an apartment building on your the first multifamily you did. How did you find it, and how did you kind of like uh, pull the funds together to uh, acquire it?
1: Yeah, so. <clears throat> Uh, actually, I was just looking on the on the multiple listing service, just sort of perusing, and if memory serves me, I think I, I was I was looking at this property. I found this seven unit uh, in near downtown Salt Lake, and uh, I think I did some math wrong. Actually, I shouldn't admit that, but I actually did some math, and <laughs> I thought, "Wow, this is like this is an amazing deal." And so I called up my my soon-to-be business partner and we started looking at it and uh, we got the math right but found out that it was uh, an out-of-state owner selling two assets that were right across the street a seven unit and then a 13 unit yeah they were in really bad shape i mean they were they were occupied but uh, properties built early 1900s and, and a, old, bigger homes that were converted into apartment units and so uh, we ended up, we ended up uh, getting both properties under contract. Not not having all the equity that we would need ourselves, uh, we we felt like we we could figure it out and, and do what we needed to do. And so, uh, we we got them under contract and then started uh, plans for the the renovation work. And it was a fairly heavy lift, and and then just started reaching out to friends and family. He was on the on the uh, broker side, so the commercial real estate agent broker side. And so we were both a known entity in the space. And so uh, we were able to get uh, fairly high leverage bridge loans at the time. I think we were, I think we may have got to 80% loan to cost. It may have been 75, but mm-hmm. uh, ultimately raised between the two properties, um, uh, about about a million dollars uh from limited partners we put a little of our own money in but but not a whole lot and then
0: any any financing any financing from uh, any kind of like institutions yeah yeah there was
1: a a local credit union okay that funded it it was it was actually a construction loan but it was it was it was very much a bridge loan yeah but they, they tagged it as a construction loan
0: I love credit unions. I mean, they—they uh, really, you know, you're planning to improve the community and all of that. I mean, they're all about that, and you know, they make it easy to get a loan. I mean, the first loan I got when I got, you know, a long time ago, the first apartment building I bought, yeah, was a credit union. I went to the banks and stuff like that. They didn't—they didn't care, they didn't want to lend yeah. money to me. They—they they saw me walk in and they said no. <laughs> say, it didn't matter what the project was they wouldn't have le- never never lend me the money uh, I was yeah they're great they they can
1: be one. more friendly they they can also yeah take their time as well they have their own agenda and <laughs> yeah uh, they, they're not always efficient but uh yeah. certainly a good source of funds
0: yeah that's right I mean and I think often they, these fund these uh the credit unions are overlooked I think um, I think people should pay more attention and then really try to reach out to them because, again, they're community focused. If you're going to go and improve the business, you're improving like two buildings in uh, downtown Salt Lake City that were dilapidated or, you know, or not very well maintained. And now you're going to you're going to make, make some massive renovation. I mean, they they love that. They love to be part of that yeah um, so that's good and then the rest of it you basically got through uh friends and family so that's good yeah never have enough friends <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you keep growing you run out of friends and then yeah, you, yeah, need, yeah. you need institutional equity but there's yeah.
0: well one of my favorite saying is always like uh you know you have you it doesn't matter how much money you have you just like you're always short a couple of millions it doesn't <laughs> doesn't matter and that's true. As you, people think, oh, I, I'm I'm just starting real estate, but eventually I won't need any money from anybody. I'll just I'll just uh, fund all the deals myself out of pocket and stuff like that. And so, eh, yeah, you kind of have that infe- intention at the beginning, but then you find bigger deals, and it's oh, I'm I'm short. Like I'd like to get some people, or I want to mi- uh, minimize my risk. I want to bring some partners in to kind of like share the risk in this project and stuff like that. So. Got it always network always (laughs) yes so so that is that is very and then after that so how did the um the debt i mean you call yourself a debt provider as you are you a loan originator are you uh are you certified or is this something that you're just very creative and people call you and say i know where the money is kind of thing
1: yeah no there's uh, there's several titles i've used through the years. the the easiest to understand is a commercial real estate mortgage broker. So this, the seat I sit in, investors will come to me, they're my clients, and they'll say, okay, Paul, we need, we need a loan for this property. So rather than them knocking on the door of two or three or 10 or 20 lenders, and, you know, they, of course, there's some known entities like the local credit unions, but there's there's all sorts of lenders that I have access to that the general public would have no idea of or how to reach, from yeah, yeah. DMBS lenders yeah. uh, to life companies to private lenders to non-brick-and-mortar banks to banks based out of state that lend in in our state, and so. I, I'm with a company called StackSource, and the the reason I I came to the company was was the technology that's been yeah. developed to really facilitate the process. So the you know, the traditional uh, mortgage broker and, and in the commercial real estate space, um, and there there's all sorts. There's large firms. There's there's people that have their own LLC that that work out of their home, and that. But regardless of where you are, the, the traditional model is that mortgage broker develops relationships with lenders yeah. and that's, they keep track of them mentally or maybe in a spreadsheet or an email. And so there's, there's 10, 15, 25 different lenders that they might be aware of where they, they can get deals done and the client comes to them and they send it out to that, that relatively small network and hopefully get a couple of lenders that want to want to work with that and simplifies the process becomes a single point of contact for the client uh, they're an advocate they're they're in the space they're knowledgeable so there's a lot of benefits of working with a broker yeah. but the reason I came over to stacksource was we've developed a, a lender database of over 1700 loan programs and lenders nationwide for all all asset classes and loan types. So whether it's land or development or new construction or bridge or permanent or mobile home parks or multifamily or office or retail or industrial hospitality, we we plug in the information about the deal in our platform and it's going to come back to us and say, you've matched with 43 lenders or you've matched with 16 lenders based on the loan to value that's desired and the, the geography and and then our technology pushes out that information after we assemble it in a manner that's digestible easily by lenders yeah so then they can they can wrap their head around it they can say hey well, we're not interested or we are interested and they they start submitting bids and then we have a follow up process to make sure we're delivering as close to what the the best the market can bear rather yeah. than just finding a viable deal yeah. for, for our clients. And so yeah. that's that's really uh what I do. I, I really connect the investor, the general partner with the lender, leveraging that technology and, and my expertise to help structure the deal and find the right, the right debt.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, too, that you mentioned that that is pretty important is that a lot of investors, they say, well, I don't need a broker. I want to go directly with uh, with the lenders. I'm going to ask some banks, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, as, as you said, is that you may think, you know, like, you know, out of the top of your head, you know, like if you're if you know a lot of banks, you probably know 30 banks, you know, and then. um but then you have other sources of funding, like life insurance companies. You have, uh, as you mentioned, like CMBS, and then you have also out-of-state banks, banks that are not necessarily working in your state. You don't know that they're lending in your state, but you know that they they can they can assist. So I, I think this is where you're providing a lot of the the value for people is that you you open up a whole bunch of new lenders that. Uh, they don't have access to they don't know that they exist and um, they don't have an efficient way either of connecting with them and uh and finding that that sourcing yeah yeah
1: a pretty industry standard is, is a one percent fee uh you know for the for the broker's efforts and and work yeah and if you do if you do the math on, on like a five-year term all you need is a half percent better in an interest rate, and it's gonna it's gonna make up for that. Yeah, that fee, and there's some other advantages of, of working with the broker. Uh, admittedly, I, I I sit in a biased seat, but um, if you go direct, and and by all means, go direct if, if you wanna if you wanna do that. But how often are you going to transact with that lender? What sort of rapport do you have? every year every other year every four years yeah i'm transacting with them every week every month they they know and trust me uh they have a lot to lose if they screw up the deal and have a significant retrain or something because then they lose me as a as a source of business Mm -hmm. to them or that mortgage broker if you will yeah uh as i've as i've surveyed the marketplace i'm shocked half the banks are even in business i'm shocked anyone does loans with them i'm like how on earth do you convince anyone to take these terms when when it's so obvious there's much better terms out there and and yeah. again there's there's an ease and a relationship but there's i'm not saying there's not value there but there is a there is a material cost and so yeah um, uh, different strokes for different folks but it's yeah. uh, certainly some some benefits and a single point of contact uh is an advantage as well this is a team sport especially as you get into commercial there's all sorts of players it takes a village and uh, if you're wearing all the hats you're you're not going to scale you're not going to go that far
0: yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, I think this is uh yeah, you know, real estate investing is definitely a, a team sport. You have to build your team, especially for us. I mean, we do like out of state investing, so we definitely have to trust the team on the ground and all of that. I mean, we wouldn't be able to, to be where we are today without without the team, without uh and listening to everybody's expertise and um, so that we yeah, we can grow the business that way. Um, so, th- so uh, the kind of deal, what kind of like uh, financing do you do? I know you mentioned, like I mentioned in the intro, kind of like apartment buildings, student housing, senior housing projects. These are uh, these could be like mainly like commercial kind. Do you only do commercial financing, or do you also do like uh, residential financing for yeah? Or uh, okay, or rental properties.
1: So rentals. The bulk of my business has been in that multifamily or the the yeah. housing space, but I'm I'm not licensed to do residential our, our company won't do residential nor do i have interest in in doing that it's, it's a different animal yeah and it's it's still real estate but there's a different skill set and, and parameters for residential loans so in in the multi-family space anything one to four units falls under that residential yeah umbrella and anything five units and above is commercial so you're doing commercial loans yeah Five what plus. about if
0: I have a portfolio of single family rentals? Do you do that to be considered a commercial loan at that point or no?
1: Yeah, there, there are a handful of lenders that yeah. do portfolio loans uh, and they're they're more nationwide kind of not of the non recourse similar to a, a Fannie and Freddie loan. Although Fannie and Freddie don't do those currently, they've dabbled with them, but haven't really made the model work. And it, it, you can get non-recourse, you can get full-term interest only on, on lower leverage. Typically, your your rates for that are gonna be one to 2% higher than you'd find from your residential Fannie Freddie loan. So yeah. uh, you, if, if you if you are building a portfolio, you can get to a point where you, you're just fanning and Freddie down and so you need to look at something like that and then you can do a, a portfolio loan where it's one payment all the assets sit under that there can be release clauses and provisions for that if you need to trade in and out of or one yeah or, yeah okay one or two properties but that that uh is a commercial loan that exists so that,
0: yeah so that would fall under your your umbrella because we do have uh some investors that they they're building it you know they start with one rental two rentals and all of that and then all of a sudden they end up like you know they have their 10 10 mortgages and they still want to grow and i say how do we structure the deal after that or sometimes they just can't uh they can't get the traditional financing i mean they just um so what are some of the parameters for the portfolio loans that you saw because Sometimes, uh, like I was uh, about to say, is that some of our borrowers or our investors they don't have they don't have necessarily the W two income. They're real estate investors or they are contractors or something like that. So they don't have like they have a slightly different income that uh, people are yeah. or they have a good credit score, but they want to be able to find a loan where it's not dependent on W two income.
1: Yeah. So. <clears throat> This will be a this will be a long answer, but I'll I'll so buckle up. But we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. get off the, the salient points. And what I'll do is is just speak in general terms for for commercial loans. And right. and I'll caveat this and say there's a loan for everything out there. um When we get more creative, or you're or it's just re- solely relying on the property. You're paying a premium, right? I'll tell my clients, "Hey, there's a loan for everything. You, you just may not like the terms, right?" right? Uh, so, in order to get the the best terms in the commercial space, there, there's really two uh, underwriting buckets that need to be satisfied: the credit profile of the borrower, borrowers, or sponsor, and then also the credit profile of the of the asset. So from the on the sponsor side, what we're looking for in, in the commercial space are a handful of things. and It's a pretty quick um, review. Uh, first off, we want to see combined net worth equal to the loan amount. So if we're looking at a million dollar loan, we want to see a million dollars of net worth from whoever's trying to borrow. And that could be one individual. It could be. Five individuals collectively aggregating their their balance sheets to get to that to that figure. We want to see liquidity equal to about ten percent of the loan amount. So again, that using that million dollar example, hundred thousand in liquid assets. That's cash uh, in a checking savings account or equities in uh, you know just highly liquid assets. Uh, any any retirement accounts. Even if it was in cash, do not count for as as liquidity. Okay. And then looking for a credit score above six eighty, and it's rare that uh, not entirely rare, but less common that loans are based on a credit score. Whereas a residential loan, if you have a seven eighty credit score, you're going to get a better rate than yeah. six twenty. It's yeah. more of a price of admission in commercial. So six eighty and above, you're you're in the game. There's a few loans where you get a little better rate, but that again, that's that's not super common. It's just a an, an entry gate. Yeah. And then uh, this is more nebulous, but experience is important in commercial. Lenders want to know that you've done something uh, yeah. in the past. So as people are starting out, uh, it's a good idea to partner with someone yeah. to to leverage that person's experience again it can be done everyone's got to start somewhere yeah uh, it just it might be a little harder to find that lender so that's what they're looking from a from a credit profile and then and then there's the asset so we're just talking about a a what we'd call a permanent loan on a stabilized asset meaning it's producing income it's a minimal amount of vacancy in in the property and so uh there's there's the loan-to-value component, which a common number in, in multifamily is 75%. And that's what everyone gravitates towards. They see that. And yeah. it's like, oh, great. I can, it's a, mil, it's, it's a million-dollar property. I need to put down 250000 and I'm good to go. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, it's not that easy. So... <laughs> because oh. it's an investment <laughs> because it's an investment property yeah uh it, the income needs to support that debt so there's a debt coverage ratio yeah and that's that's simply the net operating income on an annual basis divided by the annual principal and interest payments of the of the loan of the proposed loan
0: yeah
1: taxes and interest are covered in the in the noi that's that's an operating expense it's yeah. not the piti like you might find in residential yeah uh, so and it, it's based on in place income on a permanent loan it's not based on where it's going and so again i will i will get people reaching out all the time saying hey i've got this property um you know what what sort of loan can i get and i'm always the first thing i ask What's what's the net operating income and then we then we do the math
0: yeah
1: to, to back into a number of what what debt that that will support and right now with interest rates in the 6 even 7 range uh, there's the, there, there's been some decreases maybe high fives are are findable today yeah but based on that, what what we're seeing is sixty percent, maybe sixty five, even fifty five percent loan to value is not that oh, really, wow. someone was, wow. was trying to acquire a property.
0: So, what's your target uh, debt coverage ratio? It's one point two
1: five. Okay, so there's
0: uh, different lenders.
1: Some some will go to one point two. Again, it helps to have a longer amortization. So yeah. a, th- a higher rate and a 30 year amortization is actually a lower payment than a, a lower rate on a 25 or 20 year amortization. Yeah. So that's, that's factored in, but it's really, the lender wants to see the income to be 125% of, of what you've got to pay them. So there's some spread, there's some cushion, there's some profit yeah. in the deal. Uh, to make it work and it's and it's the lesser of those two and so it's it's, it's incredibly rare that we that would bump up against loan to value even though that's what everyone gravitates toward yeah. That's easy to head around because that how it's like how do you calculate that that coverage ratio and, um
0: but it really starts with on. the debt coverage ratio so figure out what is the mortgage payment principal, and interest that that can be supported by your net operating income and that will give you your loan to value ratio. That's how the banks are working. Correct, yeah. So if you have a financial
1: calculator, that's the easiest way to do it. There's different apps that you can get on your phone. Mm -hmm. You take your net operating income, people may have to listen to this a couple of times, but you take your net operating income, divide it by that 1.25, divide it by 12, that gets you to your monthly debt payment yeah. because you've factored in that, that ratio, you put in your interest rate, your amortization and then you solve for the present value of that. And that will give you the loan amount. Yeah.
0: Okay. okay.
1: I, I probably lost half the people, um, but,
0: uh, it's pretty simple, but I think, simple. yeah, I mean, you can even do it in a, in an Excel spreadsheet and kind of like, what works yeah. for that. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Very good. Uh, so, um, so, th- th- what's happening? I mean, there's a lot of changes that I haven't in the industry right now. So, if I'm looking for deals uh, like multifamily deals or commercial, other commercial deals, or even like rental uh, portfolios and stuff like that. So, so what's happening? How do you, What's happening with the industry right now? Are they tightening anything in terms of the lending? Or are they just like, no, it's just the interest rate are higher, but it's just the same thing as usual. It's just you apply the same rule, the interest is higher then of course, it's going to affect the loan to value ratio. And um, so what, what are you seeing uh, from your perspective?
1: Yes, it, it's an incredibly challenging time. And, and I think there's opportunity in, in challenge and challenge and difficulty, of course, uh, things have moved incredibly rapidly. And so uh, th- this year, if you go back to the meltdown of of two thousand eight, it was it was a bad time for real estate, right? That was the cause of the whole meltdown, and and it was pretty simple then. Lenders just didn't lend; it was just yeah. everyone was closed for business. You you knew you weren't doing anything. Yeah. Well, now it's like, okay, some data show we're in a recession the yeah. government's changing the definition of what a recession is so they look yeah. better and mm-hmm. uh so where are we are we is inflation going crazy are we subsiding it uh what what's the fed gonna do they said they're they are break the economy uh, to curb inflation so everyone's just it's moving so quick interest rates have come up it's been very hard for lenders that continue to to need to lend yeah they they say they're open for business However, uh they're trying to wrap their head around it. Uh yeah. the loans, the because interest rates have gone up so much, it's harder to get loans to size to, to hit that more that leverage level we're more accustomed to in that 65, 70, 75%, even 80%. Yeah. And that's that's almost a, uh impossible. Uh and and the and the, the term that I'm hearing now that's emerged over the last two three weeks is the cash in refinance, and I've got a couple of clients that are faced with that,
0: meaning you have to put money in refinance to that. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So yes. why would you do that? That's interesting because the interest yeah. rate. I'm suspecting that they had a low interest rate. They want to refinance. But why would you refinance it out? Oh, that's because yeah. they it was the end of the term or something like that. And now they have to put money. ah oh, in commercial
1: and multifamily, be, the everything was so good, interest rates were so low. Bridge yeah. bridge debt was a, a more economical way to acquire properties yeah. to get to that 75 to 80 percent because cap rates were so low, values were so high. Yeah, you couldn't get it to size. So not everyone, but most people did higher leverage bridge loans and that's that's the the scenario here that comes due in 12 24 months and uh, they executed their business plan they increased net operating income but they were planning on a four percent interest rate to go on a permanent loan but now it's six yeah that's a difference and so they don't want to sell they've got a loan coming due and so uh, unfortunately there's there's scenarios and I think it's going to be more common where cash has to come in to close the, the refi based on the sizing. So it's, it's certainly not fun to deliver that, that news. And, and lenders will say, you know, we've experienced this a lot where lenders will say one thing at the start of the process. And it's a different landscape. Two months later, when we're trying to get to the closing table, we're at loan committee and, and they're coming back and saying, Hey, we can't do this now. And so yeah. there's it, it's it's been a very challenging time, but but lenders are still active, there are still deals. Sellers are starting to realize that we're not in a three percent cap rate world anymore. They're starting to catch up, they're still yeah. lagging and not wanting yeah. to accept some higher cap rates, but we're seeing that and and uh, people are cautious out there, the lending environment is. Is definitely cautious but but by and large active what what has really slowed down is is some bridge lenders have closed doors and then construction lending is yeah is tougher to get done but there's that's yeah. again why i like sitting in my seat and uh, i've talked to several bankers and folks that are super slow i'm as busy as ever I, oh yeah <laughs> people People need not only to find lenders that are lending, but every dollar counts. So finding that absolute best rate or finding that lender that'll do the construction to keep their project going because they're optimistic about the future, uh, they need help. So we do the best we can to to help them
0: and get deals. See, there are people that are optimistic about the future.
1: See, (laughs) I'm not the only one. (laughs) Fundamentally, Fundamentally, we—I'll say this—we needed a slowdown. Things things were too robust yeah. for too yeah. long, and and we were overdue for a correction. And I think it's healthy overall for things to to come back. Yeah, said a little bit. But fundamentally, there is a housing shortage. Yeah. that's not going to go away, and that's only going to be exacerbated because there's going to be less building. Yeah, there's there's not going to be any single family home building at all for the next yeah. couple of years. Yeah, so. Where are people going to live?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that high interest rate at this, the f- fact that it also increased so quickly, I mean, you have builders like in, uh, I know in Vegas and the Vegas area and uh, Phoenix, Arizona and stuff like that, that they're going to be caught. They were very surprised by the increase in interest rate. And all of a sudden they can't sell the house because the interest rate is too high. And then there's no demand for these houses. So it's just like... Yeah. You know, what do they do? They're gonna lose money on these houses. They've already committed the funds, they bought the material, you know, they bought the material, they build the house. What are they gonna do? So that's the problem. That's the one big problem that I see is that you know, we're gonna kill builders. <laughs> and then what's yeah, happening? Uh, right. And then we're already in short supply for housing. So yeah. So yeah, so I think in terms of the uh, and then yeah, in terms of the whether we're in a recession or not, we always know later. Like we never know, like when it actually is happening. I mean, we had two, Q1 and Q2, as you know, were, were negative GDP uh, growth, which is kind of like one big indication of um, of a recession, but it's not the only one. They're looking for other signs of like high unemployment, which we haven't seen. They're looking for a slowdown in, in business, which we haven't really seen yet. We're just kind of like start getting some hints of that right now with the layoffs and all of that of some companies but yeah i mean it doesn't if, if beside the interest rate it sure doesn't feel like a recession it feels like things are moving along it's just the fed doesn't seem to be on the same page as uh as everybody else so they should share what page they're what page they're on and what they're seeing that is causing them for doing uh doing all this uh this work here
1: yeah well, they'll, they'll overcorrect and uh, yes. it'll create opportunity. <laughs> uh, that's that's what it will. Like,
0: Yeah, yeah. That's what uh, everybody's saying. You know, the, as usual, they're going to make a mistake. Well, they've already made a mistake last year by not responding fast enough. Then they responded too fast. Now they're going to over respond. And um, yeah.
1: <laughs> to the problem <laughs> they created. They could they could have just curbed some of the stimulus, right? Yeah. And,
0: yeah. But anyway, that's yeah. a whole other topic yeah exactly so so that's good so um uh, so paul so if people are you know they're looking for financing and they they um you know we've sold them the whole broker idea because you have access to additional source of funding that they they don't even know about uh and they don't even know who they're going to call um so how can they reach out to you and uh, to kind of like start figuring out like uh, their financing needs
1: yeah, so there, there, there's a couple ways. Uh, you can always email me. That's the best to reach me. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you have show notes, but that's just my first dot last name yeah. at stacksource.com. Uh, we also have resources on stacksource.com, and you can actually go there and uh, enter in the information uh, about your deal. Yeah. And so, uh, in real time, it'll narrow it down and say, hey, you match with this these many lenders. And we don't reveal those until we engage with the client.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, once so we've set up some sort of agreement there, but you yeah. can get a feel for that. There's uh, We've got data feeds for interest rates for all, all sorts of different types of loans. Yeah. Uh, we've got a, a robust blog there where people can, can learn about commercial real estate finance. And so stacksource.com, Yep. is a great resource and ultimately you could find me through that website.
0: <laughs> <Hopefully>. <laughs> but yeah that sounds so at least it sounds uh, yeah so uh, at least people should go and visit your website uh, get some information and education there so that they know what uh, what to look for it sounds like you have a lot of, uh, of information about mortgage rates and trends and stuff like that so people should go there and, and get educated and if uh, if they like what they see and they they need some funding then they can contact you at
1: the uh, help, yeah
0: yeah so paul well thank you very much thank you for sharing your uh, experience and uh and knowledge and um and optimism about the future i would say uh mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh yeah so thank you very much talk to you say, t- talk to you soon
1: Thank you for listening to Breakaway from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martel. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Breakaway from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.